you're listening to Human Rights Talks, organized by the Montreal Institute for Genocide and Human Rights Studies. This episode is a recording of our May 2nd conversation with Senator McVedrin about genocide in Ukraine. This conversation was held over Twitter spaces, so you'll notice there are a few audio issues. Regardless, the content of the conversation is really insightful, so we hope you'll enjoy. We'll share the discussion after the event and maybe put it on, on our Human Rights Podcast series, but we're Super pleased to have with us today to have uh, Senator Mary Lou McFedrin. She's been um, a key figure in the Canadian Senate working on human rights issues. Our institute, MIGS, um, has had the pleasure to work with Sarah McFedrin on, on issues related to the Rohingya genocide and, and, the, and the refugee crisis in Bangladesh. And we've also, believe, uh, most recently had Senator McFedrin on to speak for the launch of the Global Peace Index that we did with Institute for Army Peace. So we're just very pleased to have Senator McFedrin here. And um, maybe before we go into the discussion, I just would like to let everyone know that um, our Institute MIGS, uh, today we're launching uh, the Global Parliamentary Alliance Against Atrocity Crimes Initiative. It's an initiative funded by the German Foundation, the Conrad Adenauer Stiftung. And we're going to be working with parliamentarians from Canada, Germany, and across EU member states to really work more closely together uh, use their legislative power uh, for sanctions and so forth. And we're focusing particularly on Ukraine. So today's discussion with the senator is really going to help us think through this project and our wider work um, across the world. So uh, with further ado, I would I would maybe I'd invite Senator McFedrin to say, just to introduce yourself. And I would like you maybe first, um, Senator, if you could tell us about what happened last week uh at the Canadian Parliament, at the Canadian Senate? Because my understanding is that both the House of Commons and then with your leadership, uh, you pass a motion at the Senate and Canada became, I guess, the only democracy to have its two um, branches of the legislative branch of government denounce the crimes in Ukraine as a genocide. Could you maybe tell us about what happened behind the scenes and, and what your motion um, was all about. Thank you, Kyle, and, and thanks very much for the invitation to be here. As some may know, um, Member of Parliament Heather McPherson, who is the critic uh, for both international development and foreign affairs for the New Democratic Party, and I worked together, particularly on the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. And of course, for me um, and for Heather, there's a very strong connection here between what we're hearing from Vladimir Putin, uh, what we see as decision-making by NATO refusing to implement a no-fly zone, the, the impact of the existence of and threat of nuclear weapons plays heavily into how the situation uh, has unfolded in Ukraine and with this extraordinary courage, determination um, beyond uh, human expectations of the Ukrainian people since February 24th, um, when Heather rose on a point of order on April 27th, um, last Wednesday, and was able to move her motion. And, um, you know, when you do that as a parliamentarian, you truly don't know whether you're going to get past your first few words because one single no, one single parliamentarian, either an MP or a senator, saying no 
just kills the whole thing. And, um, and so I had already uh, worked with, with Heather earlier in the week. We held a press conference about the fact that Canada appears to be trying to ignore completely the treaty on the prohibition of nuclear weapons. And, uh, and so when I, when I saw that she succeeded, um, it was, you know, it was a message saying, oh, that's great. Well done. And then I woke up at about four o'clock the next morning. I was like, wait a minute. We need both houses of Parliament to go for this. Um, and so I just started writing, uh, knowing, of course, that it would take a while, a couple of hours before people actually were able to respond. Um, but I, I'm just so grateful because the one of the clerks in the Senate, um, you know, they start at 8. And, and honestly, at 8.01 a.m., I heard back saying, yes, this is feasible. Yes, this is what needs to happen. Um, here are the procedure. Here's a procedural rule because I I'm not great on rules and um, I wanted to make sure that I didn't mess it up. And I had already written to all of the leaders of the parliamentary groups within the Senate. As folks may know, Senate is organized now very differently than the House. Um, we we have mostly independent senators, um, and so the the risk of of having a no or just a random no in the Senate is much higher. Um, so, so that's what happened. And I was back and forth, back and forth, back and forth with the different um, leaders and members of the parliamentary groups. And right up to like moments before I was supposed to stand, I was in communication with one of the parliamentary group leaders who said, well, I think we should send it to committee to study. And I said, oh, please, 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 please don't do that to the people of Ukraine. Please think about this. You know, the Senate turned down the motion on, on Uyghurs. Um, people are still talking about that. They're still wondering what the heck is going on in the Senate of Canada. Please don't do it this time. So I, I found myself on the phone, you know, talking to him by mobile, just saying, basically pleading. And... Um, and pointing out that Saskatchewan, Alberta, Manitoba, um, and other provinces, but particularly these Western provinces, have a very strong presence of active, engaged, highly productive Ukrainian Canadians who were watching and listening and hoping that senators were going to stand up with the members of the House of Commons. And, um, and then I got this one, one line back saying, okay. So it, it worked, and um, I'm still a little surprised, um, but it worked. And I think that on one hand, you know, we can get excited as parliamentarians about doing something, and maybe it doesn't really have that much impact. But I've been hearing from Ukrainian Canadians, I've been hearing from others who are working to try a whole range of ways to support the people of Ukraine in their resistance. And I think it, I think it does make a difference for both houses of our parliament to speak together and to, to reach the same clear conclusion. I, I, I agree with you, Senator McFedrin. It's very often, um, you know, people are quiet in these cases and, and there's a groundswell of concern about Ukraine and Canada. And, and as you mentioned, Canada has a, a very sizable, uh, but I'm, I'm saying is that I was asking what the mood is like in the Canadian Senate, given that just about a week and a half or two weeks ago, the Russian foreign ministry put out a list 
of uh, travel bans on Canadians from traveling to Russia for, for being outspoken about Ukraine. And I, I believe there were a, a good number of Canadian senators who were put on that list. I know our, our fellow Romeo Dallaire, former senator, was on that list. But has that did that contribute to, uh, to a, a groundswell of political will among your fellow colleagues? I have a bit of a usual place to work, to tell you the truth. Um, but I, I do know that in terms of the um, communication back and forth and some of the commentary on the floor for um, the biggest concern that some of us had was that we would not get on that list. You know, like we really, really, really wanted to be on the sanctions list. Um, I had a text message from my sister in Manitoba who just said, it's about time that senators were put on that sanctions list. Um, so I think there's an appetite, certainly strong appetite within the Senate and well beyond um, that uh, we really do need to be seen as deci- decisive and strong on, on human rights issues. Oh, and I, I agree with you. And it's, it's so glad that we have you in the Senate um, to, to be outspoken on these issues. Um, I just like whoever else is following in, if you please give the senator a follow, follow her account on Twitter. She's always um, talking about and, and advocating for very important human rights issues. Um, but, Senator, I'm wondering, what are some of the news stories coming out of Ukraine that, that ha- I mean, you mentioned the nuclear issue and the threat, but are there any other issues that you see coming out that are, that are just shocking and, and that we need to, um, to focus on? I mean, separation of children. There's a whole bunch of issues you mentioned in your motion that I, I would like to explore a bit further. Oh, that would be great. Well, I would, I would, I would say to start that, um, you know, we have, we really have to pay close attention to the war crimes that are being committed against children in Ukraine. We have to pay attention to the full range of crimes, but the targeting of places where children for sure are going to be there and therefore for sure are going to be casualties of this illegal war is at the top of my list. This is really an atrocity. I mean, you can't, the kind of um, vitriol that is pouring out of the mouths of Russian leaders that fits exactly the criteria for determining if there's an intent to kill a people, you know, gen people, to kill a people. Um, we have it. We have it all over and over again. And, and the consciousness that that means children. There's an intentionality here that is stunning um, and horrifying. And then I would say the second aspect where I, where I think we could put more attention and thought is what about Canada's feminist foreign policy? I mean, that is all about centering the reality of war and conflict and the impact on women. And you can't focus on women without also focusing on families and children. So it's this combination. We've heard very little framed in this way. Uh, We have a whole suite of Security Council resolutions. Security Council... Um, less 
less worse worse than useless right now um we're, we're, we see nevertheless the suite of security council resolutions that focus on women peace and security and there are all kinds of considerations here not only and i'm not trivializing at all rape as a wet weapon of war but this is this is one of the most dramatic examples of the kind of war crimes that focus more specifically on women and children and i think that uh, there's a lot of room here for more of our decision making particularly as we get to the stage which we will have to in one way or another get to a stage of some kind of resolution, what is our international development policy going to be on this? How are we actually going to be ready with resources in every sense of that word to invest effectively and rapidly in the kind of, of focus that uh, the suite of resolutions that come out of the Women, Peace and Security agenda require? We really need to take this this notion that's been a, a, a badge of, of honor um, that our government has claimed in many different venues in many different places at home and abroad and apply it. So what does it really mean to have an, a feminist foreign policy when it comes to the kind of international development support that will be absolutely essential? It's already needed, but we need to be ready. We need to have a very clear strategy that's well-resourced. Um, I, uh, I completely agree with you. I just, those who are listening in, if you have a question or a comment, you can always make a request to, to speak and we'll, we'll, we'll let you on. Um, but as any of you are pondering a question for the Senator, I, I just want to, um, to kind of make an agreement with what you said and particularly our feminist foreign policy and, and the terrible stories of sexual violence against women and children that are coming out of Ukraine, um, a, a form of rape as a weapon of war, but it's to dehumanize the Ukrainians, um, stories of women being uh, sexually attacked so they will not be able to have children. I mean, this gets to the heart of the problem. The actions are to destroy the group in whole or in part. And we're talking about a group, a society of over 44 million people. It, it's, it's just absolutely frightening that this has happened. Um, does anybody does anybody have a comment or question that they would like to to ask or anything that they think that we should be um, made aware of or would like to ask the senator? Please don't be shy. Um, this is why these Twitter spaces are so great because you can have a very intimate discussion. Does anybody have any questions or comments? I I just want to acknowledge that I'm seeing names our our experts in diplomacy experts in the women, peace and security agenda um, and others that I, I don't recognize. And I, I think this is, a, um, this is a really important engagement for all of us, regardless of whether we are Canadian or not. Um, this is about leadership. This is about um, a, a militarization that, to be honest, I, 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 I didn't dream of this. I mean, my work has been so focused on peace building. And right now, um, that just often seems like a pipe dream. I, I, I sit on the board of the Global Network of Women Peace Builders. Um, one of our board members, actually the only man on our board, um, is Ukrainian, um, is in the fighting forces now. 
And um, what we're hearing directly back from Jorge is, is just, uh, it makes such a difference when you hear this directly from people, Ukrainians that one knows, one works with, uh, one knows I can, we can trust what they say, and it is horrifying. Um, no, it's, oh, go ahead, please. Um, Senator, um, this is Marila Makes I have a question regarding um, the United Nations that, you know, it's the body has been criticized quite a lot for its uh, mild kind of response to Ukraine. What do you think of, um, for example, Bob Ray's um, uh, current um, position at the UN? Do you think he's taking a strong stand? Bobre is the uh, Canada's UN ambassador. I mean, I would say, relatively speaking, Bobre is taking one of the strongest, clearest, and frankly, most savvy um, stands of any of the diplomats at the UN. During the um, Commission on the Status of Women meetings that always happen around International Women's Day in March, I was at, in New York after an absence of more than two years and had a chance to um, meet briefly with Bob Ray um, and also to be um, in two different panels in which Bob participated. And I, I say Bob because we've known each other a really long time. Um, and I, I'm really proud of Bob Ray. I mean, he and I have disagreed a bunch of times on a bunch of things, but I'm really proud of the unvarnished way in which he and his team at our mission, um, and indeed, you know, the folks in Ottawa as, as well, have really taken a clear, strong, consistent approach to messaging. Um, I, I got a chance to kind of hang around the General Assembly for a couple of hours in March. Um, Bob had already left because he had to go to The Hague for a meeting. But I was just kind of sitting behind various ambassadors that I know and just generally just chatting because um, we haven't seen each other for a long time. And I can tell you, I'm not exaggerating, every single one that I spoke to not only said kind of a nice thing, but they said they appreciated they appreciated the tough, clear um, messaging that's, that Bob has presented from the get-go. I mean, we're seeing more of that from more folks in a UN context, but, but Bob started that way and he stayed that way and I'm proud of him for it. I, I agree with you. I think those of you who are not following Ambassador Bob Ray's Twitter account or the Canadian mission to the UN in New York, you, you have to. It's been just great to see a very forceful voice and calling out a lot of the disinformation that we're seeing that's coming out um, from Russia, unfortunately. Um, Senator, I, I'm wondering, you know, there, there's some other troubling cases that are that are emerging out of Ukraine um, that we don't know much about, but there's, I don't know if you've been following the case, but there's there are stories of these filtration camps where civilians are being taken and then some are being relocated uh, into Russia. Um, yeah. A country attacking another country is then taking, and there's, there's a report today, over 100,000 children perhaps. Mm -hmm. um, what can we do to expose this? Because to me, this seems like one of the, it's, it's something right out of the Soviet gulag system. And, and we don't really have a lot of info about what's happening there. I'm, I'm just wondering if you have thoughts on, on, on what's taking place. Well, I, I, I agree. I mean, I think we, we first um, learned about these mass internment centers coming out of the 1990s, the Chechen Wars, 
Um, I see that now retired, but in my opinion, one of our most skilled diplomats, um, Ambassador Sabine Nolka is on the line. And I, I, I hope you'll forgive me, Sabine, but um, if you've got anything to add to this, I would love to hear your thoughts on it. Um, but I, I think that this is the great, um, this is one of the great challenges. I mean, we know Canada's made the formal request to the ICC. We know that Kareem Khan has been in the country. We know that there's a team from I, ICC there. We've heard um, calls from numerous experts um, who really know their stuff about accountability for war crimes, saying that we need to be looking at some kind of a new special tribunal in order to deal with this because we don't, uh, neither country is a um, state party to the actual Rome statute. And so there are limitations in terms of the engagement of the ICC. The fact that um, we know that there's investigation that's going on now on the ground, to me, is a really, really crucial aspect of, of what might be possible for accountability. Um, the, uh, I, I'm hoping that um, I've just heard from Ambassador Nolka that she's willing to comment. Um, and so I don't know, Kyle, if you have to send her an invitation for her to do so. Um, yes, I can. I can invite her to speak right now. So Sabine, yeah. you should get a little thing to click on that will give you the power to, to speak with us. Thank you so much. And I also see uh, Susan Bazilli, who's an expert in women, peace and security is on this line. And I'm sure I'm missing experts that are here. So please do send us a note um, if, you, if you want to engage in the discussion directly. Um, so I think the main point I'm trying to make, and then I'll, I'll hand it over to Sabine, is that um, you can't have effective accountability measures if you don't have reliable data, if you don't have reliable evidence. And the fact that um, we A, have um, Ukrainians who are providing credible, detailed evidence in real time, and that we now have invest some degree of investigation capacity from the ICC on the ground um, is I don't even want to say a good sign, but I mean, we need it. It has to happen. Um, and that's a lot better because you'll recall, Kyle and, and others, that in the early days of the Rohingya crisis, and we're still seeing it. Um, Sabine doesn't have a, a note yet from you, Kyle. Um, the, the, the fact of the matter is that, that we have had a great deal of difficulty getting evidence on the Uyghurs, getting evidence on the Rohingya. This always undermines the already slow-moving processes that we have available. Um, and, uh, and so the, the more we can invest in that capacity um, inside Ukraine, outside Ukraine, the better. I, I agree with you. Um, so we've tried, both myself and um, Marie have tried to add Sabine as a speaker or send an invite, but it's not, doesn't seem to be working. So apologies for that. Sabine, you could always tweet out at us and we could read it on your behalf. Um, but yeah, right now it seems sometimes this platform has a, has some some issues where certain phones or browsers don't work. So we have about five minutes left. Does any, if anyone else has a question, uh, now is the time to to make your request to formulate that question. Um, the senator is very busy, so has important work to do. I'm wondering, um, 
Senator, you one 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 issue that perhaps could be useful to consider is that as we're trying to gather evidence, there's a whole bunch of digital evidence. There's a whole new group of people using called open source intelligence, you know, satellite technology to to find mass graves, to date them before Russian forces left a certain part of the country. Um, but yet, I don't really know in Canada if we're really supporting this kind of work. Um, that's one thing. Maybe Canadian NGOs need to get a little bit more involved and come up with creative ways to help, uh, A, not, not just protect civilians now, but also think about how to gather evidence for um, prosecution, even if it seems so far-fetched, we, we can't give up. I, I mean, I, I, I think the time is now. I also think that we probably have an opportunity, just speaking to the civil society leaders that are on the call, um, one thing I have noticed is that um, certainly as a parliamentarian, most of my information is coming from the Ukrainian Canadian Congress um, and other or Ukrainian based organizations in Canada. And I appreciate it. And I think they're doing uh, a, a credible job for sure. Um, but I'm wondering if there's not more of a bridge building that civil society leaders um, who are not primarily Ukrainian Canadian should be thinking about in terms of um, solidarity, in terms of uh, skill sharing, information sharing. Um, I don't want to presume I'm not a civil society leader anymore, but but I am wondering about that. Um, and I guess the other thing I want to say, just in the in the closing time that we have, is um, <clears throat> please. For those of you that I think you would not be on this call if you weren't already highly engaged, please give some more thought to the fact that um, it's the presence of nuclear weapons that is driving most of the decision making that is happening. And I think that um, we do really need to pay attention to the fact that Canada has, has been subservient to the NATO focus on um, nuclear weapons, nuclear weapons, nuclear weapons. And it didn't used to be that way. Uh, and so it really, really is an opportunity for Canadians to convey to this government, if only to remind our prime minister that it was his father who convinced NATO to step back from a 100% nuclear weapons enthusiasm and, and review it. We need another review by NATO. This becomes all the more important because of the countries that have typically been peaceful and not engaged in the militarism that are now joining the NATO or about to join NATO like Finland. Um, so I want to really put a plug in there, folks, for um, talking to parliamentarians, raising awareness about Canada's refusal to engage with the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. Uh, Senator, thank you so much for those comments. Um, we'll take those to heart. As I mentioned earlier, we're launching a new project, the Global Parliamentarians Alliance Against Atrocity Crimes, with a focus on Ukraine. So we're going to be reaching out to many other Canadians as well as Europeans and Germans over the next year on that project. Um, and I'd just like to take this opportunity to thank you so much for your leadership at the Senate on the issue of, of, of combating genocide in Ukraine. And, um, and we look forward to actually seeing you again at the Senate during a press <laughs> conference. Uh, but thank you so much for connecting with us today. Thanks for the opportunity. And thank you to everyone taking the time today to be part of this um, discussion. I just wish we could have been able to uh, allow more voices to be heard. I really appreciate it. Thank you, everyone. Have a wonderful day. Bye now.